Thrive Sweet Productions. It's February 2nd, and on this day in 1949, golfer Ben Hogan and his wife Valerie nearly died after a collision with a Greyhound bus. It was a cool, crisp Wednesday morning with a ground fog rolling into the east of Van Horn, Texas. The Hogans had stopped the night before at the El Capitan Hotel as a bit of nostalgia dating back to when times were good, but the bank account wasn't as full. Back in those days, golfers traveled from event to event by car, oftentimes caravanning with other golfers and their wives. The El Capitan had been a stop on several occasions years before when the Hogans traveled just about everywhere with Byron and Louise Nelson. There were 600 miles left in their journey back home to Fort Worth, Texas on this day. The 36-year-old Hogan was coming off an impressive swing on the West Coast, playing in four events and winning two of those, Bing Crosby's Pro-Am and the Long Beach Open. Most recently, he had finished second, losing in a playoff to Jimmy Demerit at the Phoenix Open. Hogan was planning on taking some time off to prepare for the Masters coming up in April. He had that luxury at this point in his career. Plus, as he had said a few days earlier to Demerit, the travel was taking a bit of a toll on him, and he wanted to die an old man instead of a young one. So he was looking forward to getting back home and recharging his competitive battery. From the other direction, Greyhound bus number 548, nearly full with 34 passengers, was heading west with El Paso as the next stop. But the bus was behind schedule, and the driver, a substitute on this day and wanting to make a good impression on the route boss, was anxious to make up for his lost time. Weather had been an issue since he started. In addition, a tractor-trailer had been impeding his progress for several miles, and he needed to get a move on. Visibility at 8.29 that morning was poor. Fog reduced visibility to less than an eighth of a mile up the road. In addition, there was a thin layer of ice, making the asphalt a little slick. Now 45 minutes into their trip, Hogan slowed his car well below the speed limit as he started to cross a bridge with a dry gully below. As Ben's new Bulliver watch ticked over to 8.30, Greyhound bus number 548 pulled into the left lane to finally pass the slow-moving tractor-trailer and gunned the engine as he entered the bridge now set on a collision course with Hogan's Cadillac. Ben and Valerie saw the headlights, but with guardrails on either side of the two-lane bridge, there wasn't much Ben could do. He swerved the car right, putting the car against the guardrail, and just before impact, Hogan dove to the right in front of Valerie, protecting her as much as possible. That move also saved his life. 1940s automobiles had straight metal steering columns, and at impact, it was sent straight back, impaling the driver's seat. It did strike his left shoulder, fracturing his collarbone. The engine came crashing back on impact and crushed his left ankle, mangling his leg in the process. The dashboard cracked his ribs. He also suffered a broken back. As the screeching tires and the sounds of crunching metal ended, Hogan was unconscious in Valerie's lap. She had scratches from the flying glass, but was mostly unhurt. She looked at her husband and thought he was dead. But he regained consciousness a few moments later. Stunned passengers began disembarking the bus. None had been seriously injured. 
Several came to assist, and after an hour of careful work, they were able to extract Hogan from the crumpled car and put him in the back seat of another. It took an additional 30 minutes before an ambulance showed up. On the ambulance ride to the hospital in El Paso, Hogan was in shock and a bit delirious as he gripped an imaginary golf club and kept saying four left as if he had hooked his imaginary shot. An overexcited witness to the accident had made it back to Van Horn, spreading the news that the golfer Ben Hogan had died in a car accident. The story got picked up by the wire services and reported on the radio. Demerit and Sam Sneed heard that news at a golf course in Tucson. Byron Nelson got the news at his home in Fort Worth. It would be several hours before they knew the truth that Hogan had actually survived. Hogan improved greatly over the next few days, going from critical to good condition with Valerie hardly ever leaving his bedside. But on February 18th, still convalescing at the El Paso hospital, Hogan developed blood clots that threatened his life again. Blood thinners didn't help and it was determined he needed surgery. But the only vascular surgeon with expertise needed to perform the operation was in New Orleans. Requests were made, strings were pulled, and a B-29 bomber was dispatched to bring the vascular surgeon to El Paso. In a two-hour surgery, the main vein that delivers blood from the lower extremities to the heart was tied off. Hogan's life was saved, but he would have chronic leg pain for the rest of his life, making walking on a golf course a painful experience. He wasn't able to play a full 18-hole round for 10 months, but did return to competitive golf on the California swing he had so much success with the previous year in January. He played the Los Angeles Open at Riviera Country Club. Amazingly, Hogan played so well, he had the clubhouse lead until Sam Snead stormed home with a few birdies to equal Hogan's four-round total of four under par. Snead won a weather-delayed 18-hole playoff to spoil the Cinderella comeback. He would go on to win 11 times after his accident, playing a reduced schedule for the rest of his career. Three of those 11 wins would come in the majors in 1953, when Hogan won the Masters, the British Open in his only appearance, and the US Open. A golfer would not win three majors in the same year again until Tiger Woods in 2000. Also on this day, in 1954, Bevo Francis of Rio Grande College scored 113 points in a college basketball game against Hillsdale College. Bevo hit 38 of 70 shots and was 37 of 45 from the free throw line in a 134 to 91 win. Fun fact, he actually scored 116 in a game the year prior, but that record has never been recognized by the NCAA. And speaking of stats, in 1968, Wilt Chamberlain had one of the best nights of any pro with what is called a double-triple-double. Wilt scored 22 points, grabbed 25 rebounds, and dished 21 assists in a 10-point win over the Detroit Pistons. It stood as the only 2020-20 triple-double until Russell Westbrook did it in April 2019. That's all for today. I'll have more tomorrow on This Day in Sports History.